Welcome in to this edition of the Talk Nats podcast. I'm so glad you decided to join me today. As always, this podcast is free and available on all the major platforms. Today's episode is sponsored by SeatGeek. Take $20 off your first ticket purchase with promo code TalkNats. Yeah, you can even use that on Nationals tickets. Just follow the link in the show description. Today's episode is also brought to you by Manscaped. Take 20% off plus free shipping when you use promo code MINUTECAST at manscaped.com. And also brought to you by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness at 230 Water Street, just ask for the Nats discount. In today's episode of the Talk Nats podcast, we talk about what will the roster of this Nationals team look like next year. We know what players are on this team this year, but what players are poised for bigger things next year? We'll talk about that in the show. A little bit later, we will talk about this surging Nationals team and what we can expect from them the rest of the season. But just to get it going here, I have Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post. Jesse, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So the big news, I saw this on your Twitter feed, was the news of the Dylan Cruz promotion. Uh, that is some big news. After 14 games with low-class Fredericksburg, outfielder Dylan Cruz will jump two minor league spots. This is big news for me. Uh, 355 batting average, a 423 on base percentage, and a 645 slugging percentage. Talk to me about the promotion for Dylan Cruz and what you think his trajectory is for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think this promotion shows that he's going to move fast. And I think coming out of the draft, he was the second overall pick out of LSU. It was, I wouldn't say maybe a definite that he would, he kind of zoomed through the early levels of the minors, but I think you could probably project that given how good he was at such a high level of college baseball. I mean, the SEC is as good as it gets. And and he, he really mastered that level from a hitting perspective. So, you know, like you said, after after 14 games in Fredericksburg, he's he's on his way, jumping two levels. And, um, you know, there's there were some other draft picks this year, Andrew Pinckney, uh, Johanny Morales, who who went up one level to Wilmington. I think with Cruz, he's he's obviously at a different different echelon of talent than those two being the first round pick, being a guy who was projected to go first overall for most of the college season and even before that. So. Uh, obviously, the Nationals want to test him. They they believe he's ready for it. I think you're, you're being really careful with a prospect of his caliber because you're trying not to stunt their growth. So I, I imagine it's a pretty calculated decision to to push him two levels instead of one. You to really, I think, be confident that he can handle that and will excel. And they've obviously gotten every indication from what they've seen so far and what they saw pre-draft that he'll be able to do that. So um, I, th I think what it indicates more than anything is you know, I don't know about exact next steps or when the next promotion will happen, especially because he's yet to take a swing at double A, but it indicates that they're willing to move him quickly, uh, you know, if he continues to hit. And every indication to this point of his career is that he will, and 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 we're still waiting to see if there's a level that's too much for him, and, and that, has, that has not happened in, in, any, in any sort of way. Yeah, and you bring up the fact that we don't want to rush these players because just taking a look at it, we're looking at a future of Cruz, James Wood, uh, Robert Hassel III, uh, in the future, that is exciting. But the one thing that is kind of reassuring and, you know, that we don't really necessarily need to rush this uh, Nationals team and these younger players is we've seen Lane Thomas and Stone Garrett uh, and different players in the outfield really step up. So I, I don't think that there's really necessarily this real big push to get these players up there. Listen, these are marquee names that everyone... Uh, in the Nationals organization and their fans really want to see there. But it's reassuring to see that Stone Garrett has been really stepping up 
uh, and also Lane Thomas, who's been killing it all season. Uh, there isn't really that rush, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, also, not only is there not a rush because of recent performances from some players, it's also because the Nationals are not contending at the moment. I mean, I think it's it's been an exciting stretch, and they've played a lot better than they did in April, May, and, and June. But they're still – you know, the, the ceiling for this season is fourth place. And um, they're, they're maybe accelerating their timeline a bit by the way they've played lately. And some of the young guys are coming into their own, but there's no, like the teams right now that are promoting their really young top prospects are the angels who are trying to make some like last ditch crazy effort to pitch Shohei Otani on staying and make the playoffs, which really looks like it was not going to happen. It's, you know, it's the, potentially like, you know, the Reds have called up all their young prospects to do the same thing. Like it's, there's, there's teams that are in the mix and they're really accelerating their guys in order to, in order to contribute to their playoff push. Now the nationals are obviously not in that boat. So there's a competitive aspect to this too. And also, like you said, I mean, the guys right now um, not only are playing well, but also you want to see stone Garrett types. You want to see Alex call. You want to see, Lane Thomas, because you're assessing too what what they're going to be for you, whether whether they are bench players, whether they are platoon players, whether they're not in the picture in the next steps of the rebuild when the team takes more of a turn toward being competitive. So, you know, in terms of just like the data you're collecting, the guys who are old enough and ready to be major leaguers right now, it's best for them to be in the majors and getting opportunities because you're trying to assess what they are. And you can't do that with them in AAA. And you're just, like you like you said, there's no reason really to have Dylan Cruz or James Wood or Robert Hassel in the majors right now. Um, aside from, you know, if they really think that those guys have advanced past every level of the minors, it's just, they're just ready. And then, you know, but that, that, that time is not quite there yet. They're, they haven't played enough down there to make it. So there's just like no reason to have them in the minors anymore. So when we take a look at the outfield, there were some players. I mean, let's face it, the Nationals got Stone Garrett on the cheap. Um, and the funny thing that you had posted, I wish they could mention Stone Garrett without mentioning his physique. It's an interesting thing. I hear that mentioned quite often. But uh, he is built like a you-know-what and um, can really hit the ball. And what we're seeing from him now is that he's getting good hitting from left-hand and right-hand pitching. So that was something that was maybe one of the bugaboos earlier in the season with him. Uh, but then Rutherford, a lot of these guys that you think, well, they're not going to really amount to much uh, as of late. Rutherford has hit rather well uh, as well. So that's interesting to take a look at him. So the positions are a little bit difficult to take a look at. If we look at the center field position, we saw Lane Thomas not too long ago. And I think a bit of their reluctance was earlier. Uh, his defense maybe wasn't quite up to snuff, shall we say, but we've seen him really accelerate at that position. Uh, we also have Victor Robles. That is who I want to talk about next is what is the latest on Robles? Uh, I know that this season he's played better than he has in previous seasons, but it seems to me that he is prone to injury and inconsistency. What is your outlook for Victor Robles? Yeah, um, he, there's a club option for next season. It's pretty team friendly. The Nationals signed him to that before the season. It was a one-year deal for 2023 plus an option for 24. So, um, you know, Robles, frankly, has been a frustrating player for, you know, a few years now, ever since the world series, really. But this season, the most unfortunate part of his back spasms and, and back issues that have kept him out for a long period of time is that he was actually playing really well. And, and he wasn't necessarily the, the sort of speed and power threat that the nationals expected when he was a top prospect or even that he was in 2019, but he was starting to sort of figure out how to make more contact, how to strike out less, how to sort of give his speed a chance to play on the base pass. He's always been an excellent defender, 
um, it's not to say that like Victor Robles was like all of a sudden a superstar or all of a sudden a everyday player on a contender, but I feel like he almost didn't get a chance to prove what he was this year, given the, the back issues, because he was one of the, one of their more productive hitters early on when the offense was really struggling. So um, I, I would, I would imagine he's back just because again, that's a really team friendly uh, club option. And he's a guy that you've invested a lot in. He, he has obvious value for the pitching staff uh, as an as elite center fielder. Uh, but but as you mentioned, there's a lot of there's a lot of outfielders in the mix now. So, you know, if they decide to move on, it would be because they figured there was other players they want to see um, young guys potentially to bring up. Uh, but it's certainly an interesting situation. And it has been has been for a bit now, ever since his performance took a downturn after the World Series. So now the other intriguing position for me is the third base position. Uh, we take a look at it. I know that it was Candelario and then we know that uh, he got. Uh, dealt at the trade deadline. So if we take a look at it, who's played third here recently? Vargas, Alou, uh, and then, you know, down we'll have Brady House at some point. And now insert Carter Keyboom. Yes, the Carter Keyboom experiment is back in effect. What uh, have you heard about Carter Keyboom? I heard that they're just trying to get a good look at him since you were saying that the Nats are kind of out of it. I know that they're eight, eight games behind the Cubs for the third and final wild card spot, but kind of out of it. I mean, something really crazy would have to happen for the Nats to make it into the playoffs. What is the latest that you've heard on Carter Keyboom and what is your assessment on where he stands with the Nats? Today's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. Shout out to SeatGeek for sponsoring. I recently became a brand ambassador for them. SeatGeek is a ticket app that takes the confusion out of buying tickets. Plus, my listeners get $20 off their first ticket purchase when they use promo code TALKNATS. Click the link in the show description to download the app. Remember code T-A-L-K. N-A-T-S to take $20 off your first ticket purchase. Just follow the link in the show description. News. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with a brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com and using promo code MINUTECAST for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to tame your mane. No one likes a weird beard, so say goodbye to all the stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger, this thing is a juggernaut of fixing faces. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. That's right, face grooming doesn't need to be hard. Get 20 different beard lengths in just one guard. Plus, it's waterproof so you can shave in the shower to avoid all the hair in the sink. Get 20% off and free shipping with promo code MINUTECAST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use promo code M-I-N-U-T-E-C-A-S-T, Manscaped, Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Yeah, I mean, I think he's in that bucket, sort of similar to Robles, where there were obviously extremely high expectations for him as a top prospect, and I think that those were never fulfilled, at least not to this point. And, you know, I don't don't know if they're ever counting on him to be that everyday, you know, sort of pillar sort of player that, that he was projected to be. Uh, you know, five years back, but that doesn't mean he couldn't be a really good right-handed bat against lefties or a backup infielder or, you know, or, or someone who you know earns everyday opportunity. Should he hit? I mean, he has to hit. So um, 
I'm not positive what kind of opportunities he'll get down the stretch. There's sort of two spots in the infield that are kind of rotating players. That would be third base and second. The four players are Ildemar Vargas, Carter Keboom, Jake Alou, and Michael Chavis in some sort of capacity based on whether they're righties or lefties on the mound. Um, but yeah, I mean, Keboom, you know, I, I think he'll get some chances. I don't think Nationals would bring him up if he wasn't going to. Um, he was not in the lineup Sunday night against the right-handed Zach Wheeler. So that's sort of maybe an indication that more of his opportunities will come against lefties. Uh, Vargas switch hits. So, you know, even though he's not as productive, you know, not similarly from both sides, like that gives you sort of an option to, you know, platoon him and, and makes him a bit more versatile for, as a lineup piece. So I would imagine those four guys get a mix of the, you know, some sort of percentage of, of chances down the stretch. I don't think it's ever going to be two guys for two spots playing every day, uh, but we'll see how the national sort of piece that together and, and make sure they can get a good look at everyone. Because for me, I think this is make or break for Carter Keboom. This is a name that I've heard around this organization for so long that it's going to be his year. Now it's going to be next year. Nope, it's going to be next year. Um, and then one of the things that I had read here as well is that he's happy that he's not the young guy on the team anymore. There's not a lot of, you know, veterans, you know, that he's not the, the youngest guy on the team anymore. So that's kind of reassuring for him. Uh, we know that he had that Tommy John issue and an oblique issue. But it, sometimes it's not even injury, I don't think, with Carter Kimo. I, I think it's just that when he gets his opportunity, he doesn't make the most of it. So I think that this is a really good chance for him to prove that he has a future with the Nats uh, or if they don't. Uh, we know that we have um, C.J. Abrams at shortstop. And then the other position that's a bit of kind of a question mark is the second base position. As we know that Garcia got demoted some time ago. And we've seen Alou, we've seen Chavis, we've seen different players, utility players that have played uh, in different Vargas you've spoke of. Um, what is uh, the outlook for Garcia and where do the Nats stand at the second base position? Yeah, so, I mean, I think his outlook is that if he's going to be in the majors or be in the picture, it is at second base. I mean, he's major. Abrams is obviously there at shortstop and, and Garcia, they tried that with him and it did not go well at all. And um, I think Luis was... A, a solid second baseman this year, I think um, better early. Uh, he started to sort of wane and, and I think in focus a bit toward the end of this, you know, his, this recent stretch of the Nats. I think that was a part of why he went down to the minors. And uh, I, I don't think they've given up on him. You know, he was, he's obviously a really talented hitter when he's locked in and um, there are things he can still provide. So I don't think like the book is closed on his time with the nationals, but like so, similar to Carter before him and similar to Robles, like, these top prospects, like the leash doesn't last forever. And like, once you sort of fall out of favor, you need to prove again, like why you were that guy and why you were sort of so heralded. And I think like, you know, early this season, if you would have told me that Garcia was demoted at the start of August, like I probably would have said like, I wouldn't have said you were crazy, but I probably would have guessed that wouldn't happen. I would have thought he had the full six months of at bats to, to sort of get himself going and, and learn and, um, because you expect failure with guys at his age, even though he's been in the majors for a few years, he's still so young because he was promoted so early, but he, he played himself out of that job. And like, that means you need to earn it back. So, you know, that's sort of for some players, that's a, you know, it's a good motivation for others that can be, you know, too much to overcome. And so we're now going to see how he responds to that sort of challenge. And um, I'm frankly, I'm very interested in, and from now until next spring, it's one of the major stories at the top of the list. Like, you know, obviously Cruz and Wood and Abrams and, and Ruiz are like all guys that you're really excited to see and you kind of can picture where they're going to play. But those guys on the fringes like Garcia, who've had a lot of potential and have really evident skills, like 
sort of figuring out where they fit is, is a huge, is a huge task for the nationals and a huge task for Garcia too. So then let's move on to the catcher position. We know we got Manessis and Dom Smith at first, but if we take a look at the catcher position, Kbert Ruiz killing it. I love everything about his game, but the, the really interesting position for the nationals is they have two really great players at one position. We take a look at Adams and he seems to do really well. Every time that he plays, I think, you know, he's seen more play here as of late, but they need to find a spot for him somewhere on this roster. I know in previous years, we've talked about experiment, having him at first base. I think that Adams is kind of an untapped talent or not untapped, but an underutilized, shall we say talent. Where do you think Adams fits in the, in the long scope of things? And do you think they should try to have him in a different position or designated hitter? What is the outlook for Adams? Yeah. I mean, I think that like, I think he's in a pretty good role right now. And the way the nationals have gotten them more at bats of late is probably the best use to me. I, I think like, I think we kind of act like first base is something anyone can learn. And um, obviously it's, you're not asking a guy to look, be shortstop or a second baseman or a center fielder, but it's still not like a simple position. And there are reasons why players, you know, spend their whole careers at that spot because they're trying to master that defensively. And it's a, it can, you know, it, we've seen teams that don't have a good first baseman. Um, Josh Bell is one. Um, there are some others that come to mind, like, and like, it's way more noticeable than like, Dom Smith, who's really disappointed at the plate, has been a really great defender, and that helps. It does lift the whole infield defensively. So, I, I'm not totally like sold on Riley to first base. I mean, I, if you really think his bat is going to play in a bigger sample, and again, like these are small samples, so I, I, there's no guarantee that it would be this effective if he's given more chances. Like, if, if the Nationals really thought that they could project that much production, should he should he be on the field more? Then, like, I, I think it's worth trying, but like, I don't think it's so easy just to kind of throw him out there. Um, but the way they've done it recently where you know, they've gotten them both at bats against left-handed pitching, um, by starting Ruiz, uh, at DH and, and having Adams behind the plate that, that both gets Ruiz off his feet a bit more, which I think is positive for his offense. And then gets Adams, you know, at the plate too. I don't think you do it against every left-handed starter necessarily, but as, as long as you don't have sort of like, you know, options on the bench that are needing at bats, like in that case, Dom Smith goes to the bench and Manessis plays first. Like that's, you know, those are three pretty good right-handed hitters then to throw out another starter. So. I like that look. I think that's where he fits. I think the biggest thing with the catching position right now for me between those two guys is that both of them need to improve defensively when it comes to framing. And, and, um, and Ruiz has, has been better as of late, um, just both anecdotally and a bit, you know, diving into the st statistics. But um, the major questions for them are can they kind of – can they cut it as, as defensive catchers? Because defense and handling the pitching staff and framing is such a major part of being a major league catcher. But offensively, they've been great. And, and I think through this stretch when the Nationals are playing much better, like – one sort of thing that stands out is that those looks against left-handed starters when they'd be able to get them both in the lineup have been really effective. So then let's take a look at starting pitching here for a moment. And uh, we've seen some ups and downs, most notably with Patrick Corbin. Sometimes he's the worst pitcher on the team and sometimes he plays rather well. But the other big question mark for me is Josiah Gray, an all-star, has struggled a bit as of late. And one of the things that Davey Martinez said is he needs to trust his fastball. If he can keep it down and stop relying on secondary pitching. Um, what level of concern are you with Josiah Gray? I think that he is a building block. I think he's ultimately going to be one of the premier starters for the Nationals. He just needs to trust that fastball and stop relying on secondary pitches, which maybe necessarily aren't his strong suit. What do you think about Josiah? Yeah, I actually, I actually think that might 
you know, be a bit off because you look at his fastball statistically last year, it was one of the worst pitches in baseball, uh, not just for him, but across the board. So while I think he might get in trouble sometimes when he doesn't throw it enough, like I certainly don't think it's a matter of throwing it a ton. And, and the starts that have gone well for him this year early on, but when he was mixing his cutter, he was mixing his sinker a little bit. Um, his four-seam fastball was a sitting duck for almost all of 2022 and led to really, really high walk numbers, really, really high home run numbers. And his slider, um, his original slider, not his sweeper, sweeping slider that he added, was one of the better out pitches in baseball. It's something he got a lot of swing and miss with. So um, certainly there are accounts, I think, where his fastball might be better. And, and if, if hitters can kind of cross out of their head knowing he's going to go secondary pitches, maybe it makes them easier for them to lay off balls out of the zone or whatever it may be. But I think um, he's still young and learning. But one thing we learned in 2022 that featuring that fastball was sort of a recipe for disaster for him. So um, it's not to say like Davey's totally off because I think what he's referring to is not necessarily his arsenal as a whole, but specific counts and specific at-bats where he might go away from the fastball too much and try to get, try to bait players into swing and miss and, and chasing. Um, where for him, when he's been most effective, it's because his fastball is almost complementing his secondary pitches. And he's able to set up that slider, set up his sweeper, set up even his cutter going into left-handed hitters by by making t- hitters have to respect that forcing fastball, but not necessarily featuring it in his arsenal. So it's, it's a conundrum with him because I think he probably thought and he's told me this, that early in his career, he was going to be really just like a four-seam fastball slider guy and work up in the zone and down in the zone. But he's he's realized that, you know, because that pitch maybe doesn't have the exact shape to be dominant, that fastball, he's had to work more side to side and and, and incorporate that cutter or try and get a sinker to get people off the barrel of the bat. So um, it's, a, it's an ongoing puzzle. And I think, like, he might look back at this season and say, I added too many pitches and I need to X out this one or I didn't do enough of this and that. But I think, like, like, it's good to remember with these guys, Mackenzie Gore, Josiah Gray, and the position players we talked about, they're all still incredibly young. And for a lot of like contending teams, like they might not be getting all these opportunities. They might be a swing player between AAA and the majors. They might be, you know, even just symbolically a fifth starter instead of an ace or a number two. And the conversation might be different. So there's a lot of expectations heaped on these players because of the rebuild and where, and where the nationals are, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're fully made products. So I think like with him, just getting a full another full season of data on his pitch mix and what hitters, how they respond to things, what they like, what they don't like, what he likes to throw. It's going to be really big in the future. And I think like the reps these players are getting are going to bear fruit later on, because again, like it can be hard to learn on the job, but it's a unique opportunity too. the nationals can keep running these guys out without having to worry about immediate results. And that's a lot of, and that's a luxury that it's, it's sort of a quasi luxury because you'd rather be winning, but it's a luxury of a rebuild is that you can keep giving guys an opportunity and let them grow on the job. And then we take a look at Mackenzie Gore, a bit of a scary moment uh, where we thought he was injured automatically. I was thinking back to Cade Cavalli or uh, uh, Strasburg, you know, oh my God, is this going to be something major? As it turns out, it was just a blister on his finger. He's been a pleasant surprise. Um, He continues to show growth. I think that sometimes he overthinks things a little bit too much, maybe a little bit too analytical, but uh, I think the arrow's pointing up for him. Um, Let's talk about a pitcher whose uh, season was cut short, Cade Cavalli. Um, what is the latest you've heard on him? I know he had to have a surgery done, but do you think he's going to be good to go next season? And uh, just how do you project him? Um, you know, I think it's like, we don't quite know. I mean, I think he's, he's recovering from Tommy John surgery until you're back on the mound next spring and, and figuring out how your elbow responds and where you're at. Like it's hard to, it's hard to guess. And, and, and any answer of what I think he'll be doing next year would be a guess. And that doesn't mean like it's a dire situation. It's, it's more so that like, you know, a lot of pitchers respond differently to things. And so the timeline for him is really hard to 
project moving forward. But like, imagine he'll be ramping up in spring training, and but they'll they'll also be very careful with him because he's obviously a big name prospect and a guy that they really want to make sure they do everything right with and and not rush back. So that's 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 what I see there. All right, Jesse, I want to thank you for joining us on this edition of the Talk Nats podcast. Um, you have covered the Nationals for many years for the Washington Post, and thank you for joining us. Uh, why don't you tell everyone where we can find your work? Yeah, WashingtonPost.com. Uh, so WashingtonPost.com slash sports, and um, that's, where, that's where all our stories are. Me, Andrew Golden, Barry Shaluga, Chelsea James, kind of the baseball team over there, and uh, Scott Allen, too, covering the Nationals. So check out all of our stories, and uh, appreciate the time. All right. I appreciate you. And once again, thank you for joining us on this edition of the Talk Nats podcast.